Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, good to see you guys here this morning. It's a blessing that we're able to meet despite the inclement weather indoors, socially distanced and faces covered. Um, anyways, uh, before we jump into the text for today, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, let's go ahead and, and take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are reminded um, as we have been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes that, Lord, as we approach you, we do so with carefulness. with respect, with reverence, Lord. You are God. And we bless your name, Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We ask, Lord, that as we take uh, this time to look at the passages before us, that you would impart wisdom to us. Lord, we acknowledge that we need wisdom. And Lord, your word tells us, your uh, half-brother Jesus, James, had written to remind us of the fact that if we lack wisdom, we are to ask of you and that you give to all generously and without reproach, you upbraideth not. And so, Lord, grant to us wisdom through your word that might serve us well all of these days that you give to us to live. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we, um, we've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, I, for one, as I've heard the lessons being presented, I feel like I've just been greatly blessed. Um, the teachers have done such a fantastic job um, to help us to, uh, to, to lay hold of wisdom, really, and so we'll continue to do that uh, just as a reminder that an overarching theme that comes out of this book is that life is a vapor. It's a vapor. Um, we are alive and then we die and it seems like it happens so, so quickly, so fast. It's a vapor, and, and we do well to live in light of that reality. We do well to live in light of death, and we are to live life backwards, as the title of the book um, instructs us. Live life with, with death in view. With death in view, with the death date on the calendar, 
Um, we, are, we are granted wisdom for living um, through this book. Uh, such, such wisdom is, is ultimately, I believe, summarized in the last two verses of the book. It seems like all of what the writer is, is wanting to do is to ultimately direct us to his conclusion. Everything is building up and it brings us to his conclusion. And, and so I'm going to jump ahead, if you don't mind, and, and, and just read the conclusion uh, in chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. This is what the preacher says. The, con- the conclusion... When all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There's the conclusion, and we could almost just stop right there. But we're not at the conclusion yet, so we're going to backtrack. But with this broader understanding in mind, we're going to focus on chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, where Uh, we discover flashes of wisdom that we do well to live by. And understand um, these flashes of wisdom should be viewed with this conclusion in mind. Uh, They they feed into the conclusion uh, that the preacher takes us to. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and then we will begin to, to look at these guidelines for wise living. Uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. And so these verses are my assignment uh, this morning. And when I first looked at them, there was a part of me that felt like I should have more. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with these verses. And so 
here it goes, and God willing, it will prove to be a blessing. Um, I encourage you, you know, to, to hear what's being said and then afterwards to be like the Bereans, to double check and to see, you know, where I am on track. And if there are places where it seems like maybe I'm not, then you can, you can, you know, chew on the meat and spit out the bones. Um, but, but guideline number one, taking a risk may result in a pleasant surprise. In other words, you never know what the Lord might do. You just never know. He might surprise you. Verse 1 again, cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find it after many days. This verse calls the reader to do something that would seem to have an obvious result, right? You chuck bread in the water, and what happens? It's going to sink. Yet the preacher presents us with a result not expected. You end up finding the bread after many days. Surely after many days, the bread has sunk, but the preacher presents us with a pleasant surprise. Uh, Things do not always turn out the way you think they will. We see this displayed in our own lives, do we not? Have you not experienced surprises from the Lord? Have things at times in your life turned out differently than what you would have anticipated? Has he not pleasantly surprised you? by ways in which he has blessed you. And so we see this displayed in our lives. We see it displayed in the lives of others. Um, Do not assume you know exactly how things will turn out. Of course, we know that God knows, but we don't always know. And again, you may in fact be in for a big surprise and Sometimes those surprises can hurt, and sometimes those surprises can prove to be a great blessing. I think in this passage, the idea is that it's a pleasant surprise. And I think part of what we can gather from this is this verse, don't be afraid to take a risk. Of course, it's got to be a wise, calculated sort of a risk, but don't be afraid to to cast your bread upon the waters. Such a risk may prove to be a blessing. The preacher is not, again, necessarily calling us to a foolish choice as much as telling us that the things we do may result in pleasant surprises. When you let go, you may discover that you get back what you surrender. There are all kinds of examples that I think we can think of. I'm sure you've experienced that in your own life. You release, and sometimes that release is hard. And then on the other side of the release is blessing that you did not anticipate from the Lord. And at the end of the day, you are left in awe, in wonder, worshiping. When you let go, you may discover that you get back what you surrender. An example of this might be the decision to surrender a relationship. 
I know of people who surrendered their desire for a relationship, for a future spouse, for example, uh, and, and they get to that point only to discover that the Lord was then ready to bless them. I'm not saying it works that way all the time, but certainly taking risks at time may result in pleasant surprises from the Lord. A passage that comes to mind is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. You see, sometimes we are tempted to give up. What's the use? I have invested so much time to no avail. That person is no longer worth the investment of my energy, resources, and time. I see no fruit. Yet Paul exhorts us in Galatians 6, 9, to, to go against the flesh and to press on in ministry with the hope that a pleasant surprise awaits. Okay, so let's move on to guideline number two. Be generous to others while you are able. Living life under the sun, seeking to do so wisely, it entails generosity. Be generous to others while you're able. In other words, we do well to reflect the Lord's generosity in our lives onto other people. Being generous. Verse 2 says, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. Give out. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur, uh, you all know who he is, comments on this verse. I'll quote from him. Uh, he says, be generous while there is plenty and make friends while time remains because one never knows when he might need them to return the favor. I like that. And this is not to say that we should be generous in order to receive, but that generosity often results in favors returned. The wise man lives generously. He gives out of his time, his energy, his resources. He's, he, he releases, if you will. Ultimately, we should be generous for generosity's sake, because we fear the Lord. We should be generous while we are able, when we have the ability to be generous. And generosity is a blessing. We are blessed when we are generous. Jesus is the ultimate example
Jesus is the ultimate example of generosity. He was so kind, he was so generous in giving his life for our sin. And in giving his life, he was blessed. He was blessed in the fact that we who believe are now eternally saved and will forever be amazed at the wonder of his grace and to him alone, glory, praise, honor, affection. And it's an amazing thought to think that we are a source of blessing to the Lord. When we practice generosity, we reflect Christ to others. To be conformed into the image of Christ means that we will be increasingly generous. What do others say about you? Would they describe you as generous? Would they say, you are a generous person, you are a giving person, or would others describe you as selfish? Would they say you care very little about others? This hits me pretty hard. It's come pretty close to home recently. Personally, if, if you would allow, um, some of you know, I know not everyone knows, but um, My, my family in the last two months got hit with what for us has felt like a, a trial, a challenge, a difficulty. In short, dad... Um, he ended up having to go into Loma Linda for brain surgery. He had it. It was successful. Two days later, he had a stroke. And I cannot begin to tell you how, how full my heart has been. by the grace and the kindness and the provision of God and through the body of Christ and the prayers of the, of the saints. Dad's recovery at this point seems to be nothing short of miraculous, even by the account of... Um, the therapist there at the Loma Linda University 
acute rehab center. We've been able to bring dad into the home. Close to seven weeks ago, I think, roundabout, um, my question was, is it time to throw in the towel? So dad's in the home and there's special care, there's special need, um, even though he's progressed so much. And um, I, have, I have, to be quite honest, I have found it very easy to, to love my dad and to care for my dad to do things like wake up every two hours in the middle of the night to assist him to the restroom, to get up in the morning and to give him showers. I have found it very easy. But that's where the conviction comes. I'm called to love the brethren and to lay down my life, even as Christ laid down his life for us, and to love the brethren, and to be quite frank, it isn't always quite that easy for me to do that. Wisdom says be generous to others while you are able. Listen to this parable of Jesus from Luke 12, 15 to 20. And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? That's an easy answer to that question, given what we're talking about, right? Easy answer. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? You see, we are, we are wise to live in light of the reality that we will face judgment someday, in light of the reality that we have a destiny with death someday. And so we ought, therefore, to be generous while we are able. He says, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you, and and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And part of the way that we express our richness towards God is in our generosity, generosity towards others. Another passage that comes to mind comes out of Acts 20, 35. Listen to what Paul says in his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Thus, wisdom tells us 
to be good to others, to be generous to others while able. Let's turn to guideline three. Do not presume upon the future. Do not presume upon the future. Verse two says, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. You just don't know. There are surprises awaiting, and some of those surprises are hard. Misfortunes, difficulties, challenges. There comes across, as we read through this passage, the assumption that some form of misfortune will come. We live in a fallen world which guarantees the likelihood that difficulties will come our way. Yet we do not know the exact form in which such trials will come. It is far too easy as we live life forward as opposed to backwards to assume life will go a certain way. But life is often full of surprises. There are twists and turns and things happen that we did not plan for. It goes without saying, I did not plan for my dad to have a stroke and to be living with my family. That wasn't on my calendar. And James offers wise counsel regarding our plans for the future. Listen to what he says in James 4.13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such city and um, spend a year there and engage in business, make a profit. You know, they've got their plans, right? They know exactly what they're going to do, right? And, and, and listen to what James says. He says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't know. You don't know. You really don't know. You're just a vapor, James says, echoes of Solomon, right? Echoes of Ecclesiastes. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if it is the Lord's will, then we shall live and also do this or that. You plan, but you plan loosely, right? That's, there's wisdom to that. You, you, you plan, but, but you're also open to the fact that the Lord may have a different agenda for you. You plan knowing that you're not in control. You are not the sovereign. You got to plan with, with, with that in mind. And you need to say to yourself, and, you know, if the Lord wills, th this is what we will be doing. Again, I don't think it's a stretch to think that James derived such wisdom right from the book of Ecclesiastes. Did you catch what James says? <laughs> You're just a vapor. Uh, you do well to submit your plans to the Lord. Do not presume upon the Lord. That's wisdom. When we embrace the fact that we are not sovereign and that plans may not go our way, then we'll be less affected by the misfortunes of life. In fact, we will be uh, far more likely to see the blessings in the midst of our misfortunes. And this helps to get us to guideline four. Four, your generosity may serve you well in a day of misfortune. The Lord may bless you in surprising ways for your generosity. Verse two, divide your portion of seven, even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. What seems implied in this passage is that our generosity may serve us well when misfortune comes our way. 
we endear ourselves to others when we are generous, when we help others, when we show kindness, when we give to the need of others, we gain the affection and the appreciation of others. We develop friendships. And what does a friend do when those he cares about suffer misfortune? That friend is likely to act swiftly to help. And, and do not underestimate the impact even the smallest act of kindness can have. The things you do for others, you may forget, you probably will forget, but often the person on the receiving end remembers. I'm reminded of years ago when my wife, uh, Marcy, met up with a couple of mothers at the ice rink so that our daughters could ice skate together at the ice rink uh, there in Riverside. And the mom sat together getting to know each other. And at one point, my wife decided to do a coffee run. And she asked uh, the others, the other mothers, if they wanted a coffee. And they all placed their order and they gave some money to my wife to cover the expense, except for one of the moms. And she told my wife she was okay, that she didn't need a coffee. But while Marcy was placing the order, she decided to purchase an extra coffee for this mom. Something in her told her she should go ahead and purchase a coffee for this particular mother. And when she returned to the ice rink, she handed out the coffees and then she gave the one mom a choice between the two cups of coffee. She had two remaining, one for her and one, one for this other mom. And she gave her the choice. It was weeks later when this mother met up with my wife and she told Marcy that, that she has no idea how much that cup of coffee meant to her. And she opened up to my wife and she shared some very difficult things that she was going through. And that cup of coffee blessed her more than what Marcy would have known. She expressed Deep appreciation. You have no idea what it meant to me that you got me that cup of coffee with all of what I've been going through. It was an act of kindness that reminded me of the kindness of the Lord. And this mom since then has moved out of state, but to this day, our daughters are the best of friends. And I share this to say your simple acts of kindness can go a long way. You never know. A kind deed forgotten may return to you in the day of your own misfortune. And taken together, verses 1 to 2 communicates the principle of doing as much good as you can, knowing at least two things. The results are in God's hands, 
and you don't know when you yourself will be in need of someone else's generosity. And so let us take a look at guideline number five for wise living. Things to embrace, ideas to believe. Some things in life are constant. Uh, you could say that the Lord has established a natural order to things, a natural order in the universe. Uh, thus, we can depend upon him. Verse 3 says, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. It's just the way it works. This is the natural order of of what clouds do. There is a natural order to things. When the clouds are full, you know they will produce rain. This is but one example of something in life that's constant. Take heart. The sun sets. It'll rise again. Plants are designed by God to do what? To bear fruit. There is a certain order in the world that should bring a sense of relief to our souls. It is a reminder that our God has established the world and it has been established as a gift to us and, and how kind of God to pour out his rain. It is a source of life. Without it, we would die. It waters the crops from which we get food. And scripture tells us that our loving God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. In saying this, Jesus directs us to an understanding of the grace of God, the love of God. His common grace goes out upon all of mankind. Incidentally, his love is constant as well. We who have placed our trust in Christ for our salvation, we are children of God, and his love for us will never be withdrawn. What a comforting thought that despite all that seems wrong in this world, the suffering and the sorrow and the misfortune, that, that there are things in life that are constant and there is an order to things in this fallen world in which we live. This brings us to the next guideline, number six. Some things in life cannot be changed. Some things in life just simply cannot be changed. There are things that the Lord allows to happen that cannot be undone. And those who are wise accept that. By the grace of God, they're able to move on from that. The passage says, and whether a tree falls towards the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. And so this verse does speak of a certain randomness. There is uncertainty. We, we don't know in which direction the tree might fall, but we know that once it falls, there it will lie. It will not move about. The falling of the tree is evidence of death. Its fall cannot be undone. That's the end of it. 
And there are some things in life that just cannot be undone. For some, this is an agonizing thought. It can be paralyzing. You hear folks say, if only. If only I would have made a different choice. If only I would not have done this, that, or the other. If, if only I would not have married that person. If, if only I would not have moved. Or if only I had not taken that job. Or if only, you know, you hear folks say, if only. Perhaps Naomi thought to herself, if only I had not listened to my husband when he moved us away from the land of promise to the land of Moab. But there are things that happen that we cannot change, and we do well to stop asking the what-ifs. Rather, we should learn from the past, embrace the wisdom that God offers to us, the wisdom gained, and, and then move on with wisdom at our side. It's helpful to understand to, to embrace that we are not determined by our past. We are shaped. And so often we are shaped for the better despite those things in the past that cannot be undone. It is a marvel that God is able to cause all things to work together for good. The Lord is more than able to make us the people he wants us to be. Not despite the past, but because of the past. Again, remember, all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. And we know ultimately that they be conformed into the image of Christ. I, I don't believe that you can ask for anything. Anything better than that. All things work together for good. This is true. Even about those things we cannot change. Those who are wise realize this. Guideline number seven. The wise person does not just sit around and do nothing. The Lord desires productivity in our lives. Verse 4 says, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. It does a person no good just to sit around and watch the wind when he ought to be out sowing. Uh, do not think that you can just chill and then experience a harvest. Life doesn't work that way. Wisdom dictates that one ought to work. The preacher has already elsewhere in this book spoken about work, one Noteworthy verses, Ecclesiastes 3.12, where the preacher declares, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor, it is the gift of God. And here we have a positive spin on work. We are to see good in the labor that God has provided us to do. Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, and I have seen 
that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between the man and his neighbor. This too is vanity, striving after the wind. This passage reveals a negative spin on work. But look closely. When work, when labor is motivated by rivalry, it is vanity. And it is striving after the wind. Our motivation and attitude toward work does matter. Ecclesiastes 5.18, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Ecclesiastes 5.19 reads, Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So the preacher commends work. And this makes sense, especially when we consider the fact it is a command from God. And remember the end. Fear God. Keep his commands. In Exodus 20, 19, we read, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. There is something to be said about the value of work, and there is something to be said about the reward of rest And so to work is to obey the command of God. We must see work as a blessing, though it's hard. Thorns and thistles, difficult, challenging. Yet it is a a gift from God. It is a blessing from God. Uh, The preacher will hit this topic again later in verse 5. Let's now consider guideline 8. Your knowledge is limited. The Lord is omniscient. Verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed, right? The preacher declares to his audience that they possess a degree of ignorance, things that they don't know. And wise people embrace the fact that they are limited. Uh, The examples provided are, one, the path of the wind, and two, how bones are formed in the womb. Perhaps you could have come up with Different examples or even other examples. Those are the two he gave. Um, Again, there's all kinds of examples that we can think of that reveal to us our limitation, our limited understanding. And those who are wise know they do not know everything. And such a limitation of knowledge applies to one's understanding of what God is up to, which takes us to number nine. Don't assume you know all of what the Lord is up to. We could say it this way, the Lord is active in ways that you do not understand. Verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. You, You don't know exactly all the time what it is that God in his sovereignty and goodness and wisdom and grace and kindness and mercy is up to. We'll go to number 10. Live in light of the creator-creature distinction. In other words, God is the creator. 
God is the creator. Verse 5 says, God who makes all things. And again, hopefully, we're understanding this against that concluding remark where we are called to fear God, reverence God, to hollow his name, to have a, a, a clear understanding of who he is, and to understand our place in this fallen world before Almighty God. He is the creator, and he has created all things. And that gives us much to think about as we seek to be men and women of wisdom. We'll, we'll get to guideline 11 now, and I've run out of time, so bear with me. Dedicate the entirety of your day to working hard. I said we'd get back to this idea again. Knowing that you do not know from where your success may lie, God calls you to embrace the ethic of hard work. Verse 6 reads, Sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. And just work hard throughout the day, six days a week. Rest on the seventh day. Enjoy the labor that God has given for you to do. And do such in the fear of the Lord, keeping his commandments, knowing, as the last verse in the book tells us, Everything will be brought to light. The good as well as the bad. And I think that it would be a mistake if I were to end without the reminder that the judgment that we ought to fear has been placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ so that we need not fear. Remember that despite our fallenness and despite our sinfulness, despite the frailty, the, 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 the fleshiness, the indwelling sin, and despite the fact that we struggle with these things to be wise as we try to live life under the sun, that the Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God in our place and judgment was placed upon him so that the Bible can say there is no condemnation. And more than that, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the epitome of wise living, his righteousness has been bestowed upon us. Can you believe that? I can look at you square in the eyes and I can say that in Christ you are without blame. You are holy, righteous, and blameless because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How is that for a pleasant surprise? How is that for a wisdom that is not of this world, but it comes from 
above. Blessed be his name. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you are the creator and you are full of wisdom and you have responded to us in such unbelievable kindness help us lord to be wise to know our place to relate to you in the way that honors you to not be quick with our words and our questions and our accusations, but to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Lord, as we transition to the service this morning, we pray that you would speak that you would speak through the preacher this morning, that, Lord, we would hear not his word, but your word. Prepare our hearts for that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 